So because I already told you, you know, 89, I was nine years old. I was born in 1980. So I'm 38 years old. And there are things that I remember from my childhood as being just like staples, right? Staples in my childhood, knowing that like I just love certain things. So when you think about being a kid, like just, just always things that you remember. And I remember um, hanging out at home and I can't remember what time of day it was on, but you remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day in the neighbor. Would you be mine? Won't you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? And then he'd go, hello, neighbor. And he would change his shoes and put his sweater on. And I loved that show. Um, and, and going into the land of make-believe and meeting King Friday and Daniel Tiger and all of these things. And I just love the world that he created. And he would take you on virtual field trips. Like I remember, do you remember that? Like it was yesterday going to the Crayola factory to watch how crayons were being made. And I just thought that was it. Like it was so uh, fun to, to do that. So I just remember that being uh, a thing. And it was on for so much longer than I ever thought, right? Like you get to a certain age, you stop watching, but it didn't go off the air till like 2001, which is crazy. So he was on for, you know, a very, very long time. So until, well, right, actually he came back online or on uh, TV to talk actually after 9-11 happened. How did you know that? That's smart, Jude. You are, you, he's a guy who knows a lot of stuff. Um, but he did. Mr. Rogers became the voice uh, to, of an adult, a safe adult to talk to kids uh, about all kinds of things. Um, and so I just thought that was, that was just, I couldn't read the story of the Good Samaritan where it constantly talks about who's my neighbor without thinking of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, right? I just love, and now that song is going to be stuck in your head forever. Sorry about that. I've been doing that for the last little bit. So we've been bouncing all over the book of Luke, sort of back and forth, um, gleaning the things that we can discover about ourselves and about church um, because of who Jesus is, right? So you got the McGee and me version, uh, but let's read the scripture together in its entirety before we, before we dig in and, and go verse by verse like we've been doing. So if you have a Bible or a device is fine. It's Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25 the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Other translations will say he had compassion on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're thankful for, for the ways that the things that we get to learn um, because of who Jesus is and the way that he that reacts and interacts with people, right? The, the scene should feel really familiar to you at this point, right? It's the, again, the religious people trying to give a trap uh, to Jesus who he sees sort of right through it from the very beginning and does what Jesus does and turns it around on him. But the expert in the law is just that, right? He's an expert. He knows Old Testament law backwards and forwards. That's what his job was, to know it, to study it, and to make sure that other people understood it. So if they had a question about whether or not what they were doing was right or wrong, he could quote exactly from what the Old Testament said. So his question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love how Jesus does what Jesus does and flips it back and asks another question. That's a teaching strategy, right? Teachers do that to you when you ask a question. They're like, well... And then they reframe it and you're like, God, can you just give me the answer? Because Jesus is a teacher, right? He wants people to draw and understand their own conclusions, right? And so he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those words are maybe familiar to some of you, right? They are directly from the book of the law and the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, and again in Leviticus 19. He's quoting the law that he knows so well, right? And he says, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. But then he adds this extra bit at the end, do this and you will live. You notice how the text sort of indicates that that the expert in law is annoyed by that because then he says he's, he's gonna justify himself because Jesus adds this little bit at the end that's again taken from the book of the law in Leviticus 18 verse five, where it says, keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord, right? So you can know the law, but you're, you're not full to fully understand and to know the law is because you have to live it out. He's kind of, he's, he's kind of quoting like, he's like, I got you. You think you've got me, but, but you're missing the point of your own question, right? He's already, he's pointing out the hypocrisy of those that were religious in the day. You guys are forgetting the live part, right? The expert doesn't even understand his question, so Jesus has to help him by quoting scripture back to him, scripture that he knows full well. So this is why that's significant, right? Jesus is saying, if, if you think that, that to inherit the kingdom of God, that you have to do something, and that something is to love God and love your neighbor, right? If that's what we believe the text to be and you believe that to be true, but the full understanding of the law is that you have got to live by it. So you've got to do it habitually without fail. That's what we're called, that's what the law calls us to do, to make it habit forming. As, just as if you would wake up in the morning and click on the coffee pot or brush your teeth or tell your kids that you love them. Can you do that? Can you habitually live by this all the time, right? So the expert 
becomes condemned by his own question, right? Because Jesus has already turned it around on him and we haven't even gotten to the parable yet. This is just like the first couple sentences and Jesus has already got his thinking changed. Because Paul says it this way in Galatians 3 verse 10, where he says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be to everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So this is big, right? Jesus is messing with what they think and believe about eternal life. Because for this guy, it means the first time that somebody cuts in front of him in the falafel line, there goes your eternal life. It's out the door the next time. Maybe if he sneaks a peek at his neighbor's wife, you're out, you're done. Eternal life is no longer for you. You have to abide by all things and do them. Because Paul goes on to tell us that the law was never about bringing us salvation. That's not, that's not what it was about. It was about the laws meant to guide us and point us to Jesus, to give us parameters to love Jesus better, to love God more so that we can love people more. He's asking the wrong question. What must I do? You can't do anything. You can't, we talk about it all the time. You can't do anything, but we spend so much time talking about I, me, what can I do? C.S. Lewis, I love this little quote. It's not really a quote, it's a word. He was asked once to explain the difference between Christianity and all uh, other forms of, or all, their, all other worldviews. And simply put, he just simply said, grace. That's it. And grace is God's unmerited favor towards you, right? It's, it's nothing that, that you can do to make God say, finally, you got it. You did all the things, you made it right, you're in. Congratulations. That's not how, that's not how grace works, right? We can preach it to other people, right? And say that God's grace is for you. We, it is huge in what it means to be reformed, right? We're a Christian reformed church. And that is a huge pillar of what we talk about is grace not works. But how often is that not how we always live? I feel like sometimes we live by these, like we carry these scales with us. And it's like, we've, we hope that eventually through our life that the good things we do will outweigh the bad things. That if I do enough things, I'm gonna have enough in my good column. And I also have Jesus and I believe that to be true. So he's pretty weighty on the good side, but I'm still trying to, what, what can I do or what should I not do? Or what, how should I spend my time and how shouldn't I? What is good and what is bad? And that's the, the thing that we're trying to prove is, is our worth, right? Hoping that at the end, there's enough good knowing that, that Jesus stands on our side, but we're still trying to say, am I worth enough? Am I worth enough to be loved by Jesus? I believe in grace, I understand it, but, but is it hard to, to connect with it? Because as people, we wanna do stuff. We're doers. We wanna, we, wanna, we wanna have a solution to a problem. We wanna go out and move mountains ourselves and do things. It's the wrong question. It's not about what we do, it's about who we know. Right? We're worthy because Jesus makes us worthy by his death on the cross. We like to focus a lot on our sin, right? And understanding that we are sinners saved by Jesus Christ. That's true. That is truth every day. 
But as Christians, right, we focus so much on our sinful nature that we forget because of Christ's death and, re and resurrection, we are saints. <laughs> that we are enfolded into the body and the priesthood of believers and that that sin no longer has a hold on us. We are worthy because Christ makes us worthy. And there's nothing that you're gonna ever be able to do enough or not enough that is gonna change that simple fact. He's interesting, the expert is an expert, right? He's not a dumb guy. He, he, knows, he knows things, but the spotlight's on him. So he's gotta look for some sort of loophole, right? So he's good. He's a, he's a religious Jew, and therefore he defines his neighbor as other good religious Jews, right? If I'm supposed to love God and love my neighbor and my neighbors are people like me, then yeah, I think I got it. Like I think I stand a chance at, at doing this, right? That logic backfires, right? It backfires, so he responds in verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. It's like, I see what you're doing with that little verse you tacked on at the end from Leviticus. Nice move, nice move, Jesus. Um, I'm gonna justify myself and ask you this question then. Who's my neighbor? In verse 30, Jesus replies. And now we get into the, the parable section of the story, right? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Okay, so I got to, to go spend some time in Israel. So I took a bunch of pictures. Can you show uh, the first, I don't know, show, show the first one, then we'll see where we go from there. I gave him, oh, okay, you're starting with that one. That was just outside Jericho where I rode a donkey. Um, a very nice Bedouin man uh, allowed me to go on a donkey. Okay, so this is the terrain around from the road from Jericho to um, or from Jerusalem to Jericho. So we know Jerusalem's on a hill and you're gonna go down to Jericho. That road is narrow and rough and it's rocky and the terrain is desolate. Go to the next one. So that's a, um, a shoot, and now I can't think of what it's called. A monastery, there we go, uh, built into the side there and that's where part of the road. So if you go to the next one, you can sort of see how small the road is. That's the old first century road. Right, Do you, can, you, can you even see it in there? It is so small and so narrow. Is there one more, Josh? There we go. So that's a little bit uh, bigger where it's coming out. That's the more of the um, modern day roads. But that road was nicknamed the way of blood because it was so dangerous, right? There are switchbacks. It drops uh, 3,000 feet um, in elevation. So you're kind of going down on some of this loose gravel and this loose terrain and it's difficult, right? Everybody's familiar with this road. If they've gone up to the temple at some point, the people that Jesus is talking to have walked that road. They know that it's got a reputation for being filled with thieves and robbers and things like that, okay? So the implication here that this guy is um, left for dead, therefore, if he doesn't get help soon, he will die, okay? So we have this guy, he's, he's, uh, he's left for dead, and enter the priest. So people listening to the story have gotta be thinking, okay, here's the hero of our story, right? The, the, the church guy comes in and he's gonna, he's gonna do the right thing, he's gonna help. But, but what does he do? He sees him and he keeps moving. 
He, he doesn't just, I mean, in a road that small, this narrow, I mean, you really can't even walk side by side with each other. So you see him and you move him. To go on the other side of the road isn't like, I'm gonna go to the other side of the road. I feel like he would have to have climbed partially up on rock to sort of get away from him. It was unavoidable and yet he avoided on this really, really, really tiny road. So then we get to a Levite and think assistant to the priest kind of a guy, right? And he came to the same place and he also passed by. How they passed by, I still don't know. I, I, I think maybe it might have even been accurate in, this, in the cartoon where there was an actual tiptoe around a person because that road is so small. It was actually too dangerous for us. They wouldn't let us go on it. So I just can't imagine what it must have been like to, to try to go around this hurt man. But we have to remember, in Jewish law, there were so many things that were unclean, right? And so the, the, the religious folks are like, if I touch him, I don't even know how much they consider this, right? If I help, I'm gonna be unclean. I've gotta go through the whole uh, rigmarole, right? Of making myself clean again, the religious washing, and I'm gonna be unclean for seven days. And I've got things to do. I don't have time to be unclean. So he just moves, right? He doesn't help him. He just keeps moving, right? The church people put biblical law above human decency. That's a harsh way to say it, right? So if, if knowing God doesn't eventually transfer to your heart and the way that you're lived, then the, the way that you live, then you are lost. We talked about that a little bit last week when we talked about the parable of the lost son, right? But Jesus came to save church people too, amen, <laughs> right? If all you can see is the law and not a person, then you are lost, right? We see it in our culture, all the time, the way that we talk about things, the way that we post about things, don't even get me started, right? Even the way that we talk about things like abortion or the LGBT community, uh, Muslims, um, the way people are in uh, immigration at the border, whether we say are they illegals, are they people seeking asylum? We have all these things and we get mad and the religious right throw stones at the religious left and call them, you know, liberal lefties with this scowl on their face. And the Christian left does the same thing to the right and says, bunch of Fox News watching haters. And everybody's forgetting that amongst all these things about what we're talking about is there are people. There's human decency. Over whatever you believe about being, things are right and they're wrong and sometimes, and I'm not saying that, you know, we'll just get in a circle and sing kumbaya, right? But I'm saying that these are people. There's a way that we treat people, that we're called to, to treat people, to love people, the way that we talk about people, the way that we engage with people. Because we, we, there's one way that we talk and there's another way sometimes that we randomly post and repost things. Sometimes you see that, you'll see someone that like you know and love and care about and you'll read something, whatever inflammatory thing, right, is on their Facebook. And I've been guilty of this myself and you go, ha, ah, that feels really harsh. I know that person and love that person. I can't believe that they're saying this or that. People, right? Then we look back in our history and remember what race relations were like in the 1960s 
And, and we're thinking, gosh, look how far we've come. But look, but look how much work we have yet to do in the way that we look people, with the way that we interact with people because we overlook human, de- human decency so often that we don't even realize, I think, that we're doing it. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity or had compassion on him. The Samaritan had compassion. I like that translation better. Compassion. That's what was lacking in the religious people was compassion. They saw the need, it was right in front of them, and they ignored. It was actually at that point harder to ignore than to probably have helped. They had to work harder to get out of the way. And of all the people, the Samaritan is the hero of the story. Right? We, we talked about them when we talked about the woman at the well. They were half-breeds, unclean, despised by good uh, religious Jews as people who were doing it wrong, um, people that, that you were not supposed to associate with in any way. Uh, they were likened to pigs, which were the most unclean of all animals. That was a Samaritan. You were not supposed to hang out with them. And he ends up to be the hero of this story. So Jesus is saying, when, you, when you, you're talking about, about all these people um, that you're not doing it right, but they get it. This guy gets it, right? You, you church leaders are missing the point. They're failing you. Who is my neighbor? They would have, it's not them. It's not the Samaritans. And Jesus is coming back and saying, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Paul reminds us that, that the goal of our instruction, right, is love, right? Again, that the law is so that we can love God and love our neighbors better with compassion, with the same love that Christ gives to us, right? That's part of the problem sometimes with over-intellectualizing our faith, right? We study a lot and that's good. I wanna be committed to know scripture, what it says so that I can speak it to people, so that I can live it, so that I can pour it into people. I wanna know that, but there comes a point where we have to say, we're gonna put this into practice individually and as a church. The problem was the religious leaders. They had all the knowledge, but none of the compassion. I feel like me, when I say we, always know that there's a big old fat me in the middle of that too, right? We like to point out sin and brokenness that's different from ours, right? We ignore the plight of people around us um, that we sometimes deem unworthy of grace, or at least unworthy of it until you get it together. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Right, oil and wine were used as antiseptics. I didn't know that. So if you're ever in a pinch, you got those things in your car, you can be helpful to somebody. They can be used as antiseptics, right? So he was, he was doing the dirty work, right, of, of, of cleaning him up and caring for him. Imagine how bloody and broken this guy must have been. That was difficult work. If, you have a, if you're a queasy person, like I can't, I can't look away during like parts of Grey's Anatomy. Like I can't see that, right? Like I can't. He used his own resources for the one that was in need, right? 
He put, he put him on his own animal and he took him to an inn. He took his time and he took his resources to help the one in need. We have no idea where he was going, right? Jesus doesn't give us those details of this story. But you imagine that if you're on a road traveling, you're going to do something somewhere. I'm assuming he had a schedule of some, of some sort that he threw out the window and poured his resources into this person. Spring break, maybe that. Like, oh, we gotta go, we're going to Florida. So verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses. I mean, this guy goes above and beyond. Like, I'm gonna pay my own money for you to make sure that you are well taken care of. And, that, and, that I, and I'm gonna follow up. I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna continue to engage with you and your story and your life and make sure that you're okay. So this isn't a one and done for this guy. This is a follow-up scenario and I love that part. He's gonna come back. Jesus is sending the message. Those Samaritans, they're not, you don't think they're doing it right. They're doing it all wrong, but they are the ones that get it. You religious people, you church people, you temple people, you are turning a blind eye to all the people around you. So you want to know who your neighbor is? All people. There is no one that is not your neighbor, even those that you may even consider to be an enemy. Because that's really how the Jews felt about Samaritans. It wasn't just this, we don't like them, you know, the way like Michigan fans feel at Michigan State, like we don't like them. This was a, a despise, a hatred of another group of people. They are actively against me. They are my enemy. He's saying, no, those two are your neighbors. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on them. And Jesus told them, go and do likewise. Go and do. You can, you can hear all the things, but now you have to go and do the same. There's always an action point. God is, Jesus is constantly assaulting our comfort zones, right? He is just saying, like, you've got to get and you've got to move and you've got to live out this thing that you believe in, right? So many of us, maybe we find ourselves removed from people that need radical care. We think, like, that's, that's not somebody, I don't have those people in my life. But I think it's just because we stopped looking, right? Like we choose to not see people. We choose to not see people who are around us and in our, in our lives and in our communities. We just sort of, we don't even mean to, but we're, we're passing by on the other side because we're just not engaging. So who are people in your life, in your community that we feel like are left for dead? Interesting, last week before spring break, um, Sue got connected to a person. Um, well, actually, it was a whole rigmarole uh, of an email, right? This website that was like a neighborhood website. And people could ask for advice or um, like, hey, I'm looking for, you know, a handyman or I'm looking for a church to go to. And so Sue reached out to this, uh, this woman who said, hey, I'm looking, uh, I'm, looking for some, I'm looking for some help. I'm looking for a church. I'm also just looking for someone to maybe come to my home and read the Bible with me, right? Like we weren't sure exactly what she was asking for. She wasn't, her email wasn't clear. Um, and then Sue called me up and, and she said, so I got an appointment to go hang out with this lady. I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'm gonna go. And you know, she sort of, you said you were a little bit terrified. 
Like this is, she's like, this is so out of my comfort zone, right? And I said, me too, right? Like we're, I don't know this woman. She's on some sort of website. These are like where, where like, you know, stories happen. Like we're on the news the next day, kind of a thing. She lived in Wimbledon apartments. And we, so we went and we, we met her. She set up an appointment and we went and we said, I'm, my name's Sue and I'm Carrie and we're just here to listen to, to your story and to find out who you are and what you need. It was a really crazy day and the story was, is a little, it's unfolding. We're still in, in talking to her. We're still in communication with her and we hope uh, to be able to walk alongside her and make sure she's connected with the right things um, because she can't really leave her house much, right? She suffered a traumatic brain injury and that makes conversation difficult for her. So our conversation was all over the map and it took us a while to try to decipher what it is she was asking for until we just sort of listened a little bit and then sort of told her what she needed. And not in a, we're telling you what to do, but we were trying to put words to what she was trying to say. And then I talked to Caitlin, cause she's a resource for us, not because just because she goes here, because she works for love. And she says, there are things that you can do. And if she can't leave the house, if she's either uncomfortable or having a bad day, we can make a phone call and do an intake over the phone. So we're gonna continue to talk to this woman and maybe you'll see her here someday. I don't know, because that's not our goal. If she comes to church, great. I, I hope she has a, a community of believers to travel with. But it, that's not our end result. Our end result is to go and do, and God takes care of it. God is drawing people to himself. It's not about what you or I do. It's about what God does, and he uses broken, messed up people. Amen? oh man, I do not do it right. We do not do it right. This church is not always gonna do it right. We're gonna try. We're gonna go and do. We're gonna be in places where we think Jesus would wanna be. We're gonna try to take radical care of people in our community, right? It's gonna require something of you. We keep kind of talking about this. Don't think for a second that you can, I want you to feel good and to get excited. And I see some of you nodding your head, good. It's gonna cost you something. It's going to be inconvenient. Oh, is it inconvenient sometimes? It is. But we want to live the way that Jesus calls us to live and to have compassion and mercy. Because if Jesus were here today, that's where he'd be spending time with anyone in this community, anywhere that is in need of compassion and mercy. Because there are some messages, when we read scripture, there are some messages that are meant to comfort the afflicted and there are some that are meant to afflict the comfortable. And this is one of those stories. Let me say that again. There are some messages that are meant to comfort the afflicted. And there are some that are meant to afflict the comfortable. And I don't know about you, but I often am pretty comfy. Right? I'm familiar. I know things. I grew up in a community. I had McGee and me. <laughs> Right? Like, I'm comfortable, but Jesus ends with go and do. It's the peer ministry we were talking about, about what it means to get back into the river with people, um, to, to try to find ways to connect, not just through program, program, programs, but what's already happening in our community, like love that we get to connect to so that we can walk with people because we believe that people are inherently valuable because they are created in the image of God. It's why we're gonna start the Dignity Serves conversation. So we're gonna have tacos together so that we can learn how to better talk to people. Because if you don't see yourself as the one that is bloody and broken and beaten down by your sin, right? And Jesus is the good Samaritan, 
then you will never have motivation to show compassion to other people. You were once messed up. You were once broken. Maybe you don't have this story, but you were born into it. You were once bloody and broken and in need of a savior. But if you, if you don't, then you're gonna always stay like the priest and the Levi. We have to ask ourselves a new question. And you've been hearing it since you were a little kid. Won't you be my neighbor? Right? Mr. Rogers was a minister. This guy knew his stuff. He was, his whole show was this theological truth that we are sinners in need of grace. And that because of Christ, he makes us worthy. He used to start off his shows or end his shows, I can't remember, with, I like you just the way you are. Right? Just as you always talk about how special you are because there's no one in the world just like you. He had the fundamental idea that everyone is created in the image of God and therefore has inherent value. He said this one time, he said, if you, if you, so I got really excited because things changed for me um, on Friday because I watched that documentary, Are You My Neighbor? I bought it on iTunes, so come over and watch it. It was only $9.99. But he says this in the movie, I'm taking notes, by the way, watching this movie because Mr. Rogers is like, I love him. He says, love is at the root of everything, love or the lack of it, Right? His show had a singular focus and that was to make sure that kids knew that they were worthy and loved just as they were. But does that message change from when you're a kid to when you're a grown up? We all still wanna know that we are worthy enough to be loved, that we are worthy enough to be cared for, that someone loves you just the way you are. He also said the The world changes when someone gets the idea that love can abound. When it was okay, when it it wasn't okay for black kids to swim in the same pool as white kids, that was happening in the world. So Mr. Rogers brought it on a show. And he had um, Mr. Clemens, or Officer Clemens, I think. Do you remember this? Was his uh, his character on a show that was a police officer, an African-American police officer. And he was in this kiddie pool. And uh, he was like, oh, it's hot out today, you know, in the neighborhood. And so he pulled his pants up and he put his feet in a kiddie pool and he said, oh, Mr. Clemens, it's sure hot out today. Would you like to come and cool off too? And so Mr. Clemens, oh, thank you, Mr. Rogers. And he puts his feet in the pool too. And there's people, he's like, well, I don't have a towel. Don't worry, you can share mine. And at the end, Mr. Rogers dries off his feet. Tell me that's not theologically on purpose right? These things are wrong in the world and I'm going to love people as I love myself because people are worthy of love, right? The idea that that the love of Christ keeps us together and that love is to be shared and to be offered to the world. Who's my neighbor? I dare you to find someone that's not your neighbor. Instead of asking, who's my neighbor? Invite them in. I, that's why I love it. This is an, Mr. Rogers' version is an invitation. Would you be my neighbor? Could you be my neighbor? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Like these are all, it's kind of funny, but they're all invitations of saying, I am willing to know you and to love you because you have inherent value because Christ loved me first. 
I can love because Christ loved me first, because I see you and I'm here to offer you help and hope because I have help and hope. That's who I wanna be as people and that is absolutely who we wanna be as a church. I see you and you are worthy of love and this place is for you. And Jesus Christ loves you. And we get to be the people that, that are the ones that physically get to hug them and love them and nurture them and care for them because of who Jesus is. Amen, let's pray. God, you are so good. And your love for us is radical and amazing and life-changing. And we have done nothing to earn it or deserve it, but you give it to us anyway because of your abounding grace and mercy. God, that you sent your son for the sole purpose to die for us because he was going to do what we couldn't do and that's make us clean, make us whole, make us pure. So God, I pray that we are able to, to take that truth, to, to know it and to believe it so intrinsically in who we are that it just flows out from us that we find people in our communities, in our lives that need compassion and that they need love and they need to be known and shown that they are worthy, not for who they are, but because of whose they are, because you make us worthy. God, there are people in our lives and in our communities that don't know that truth. They don't have, they don't see their value and their worth or if they do, they're putting it in loads of garbage stuff that, that they want to bring them light in life, but all it does is drag them down. So can we be those people in this place where we don't worry so much about the rules and the laws, but we don't overlook human decency because people have a place with you, which means they have a place with us. Help us to be those kind of people. First in Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen.